Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt. And welcome to Pod Rates, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 11, The Negus, teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear and directed by David Livingston. This episode originally aired on March 21st, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, with the sudden death of Grand Nagus Zek, Quark becomes the new leader of the Ferengi Alliance, but he also becomes a target for murder. <laughs> murder! Murder, she wrote! Oh my goodness! So, Elise, uh, what did you think of Season 1, Episode 11, The Nagus? Um, it's bad to return money that you know is someone else's. Friends, we have our first Ferengi episode! Um, I loved it. <laughs> it's very stupid, and I it was here for all of it. So what you're saying is our exploration of Ferengi culture commences? <laughs> yes. Commerces? 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 <laughs> yes. The free market. The marketplace of Ferengi <laughs> ideals has begun. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, it was It was great. Um, there was comedy. There was mystery. There was a little bit of a PSA. It, overall, very enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy the episode um i think that there are i guess like slight spoilers if any of our listeners are 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 new listeners or or newcomers of deep space nine i think there are better ferengi episodes that are, are are to come in the future but uh i really liked the b plot in this episode which was the non ferengi plot um and, like, I didn't not enjoy the A-plot and all the Ferengi stuff, but, like, I don't know. I feel like, for me, on a rewatch, knowing, like, what's to come and knowing what this is laying, like, the ground kind of for, it was just, like, it was just okay. I don't know. That's I didn't fair. the episode, but I didn't love it either. That's I didn't love fair. it either. I did have a couple questions about this episode, like... Does Miles fill in? Please. Does Miles fill in with, for Keiko whenever she's not there to teach, or is this specifically like an engineering lesson? Are there other people that are filling in um, when Miles is on duty? Do they have teachers training? Like, I need answers to these questions. Yeah, these are really important questions, and listeners will remember these are questions that we raised when Keiko was like, "Yo, I want to open a school." Um, is that how she phrased so- it? Yo, I want to open a school anyway <laughs> I, I believe so i believe that's a direct quote and if it's not no of course it's not a direct quote that's my take I'm, I'm paraphrasing dear listeners um but yeah no those are all really valid questions and i don't know i guess if like we think of deep space nine as this kind of like western frontier town which is kind of the concept that we've talked about and keiko like is the teacher in the one room schoolhouse she's away Slash, they didn't want to pay Rosalind Chow to come back for the episode, and O'Brien's been away for a few episodes, so we'll give that part that part to O'Brien because because Colm's back. I don't remember movie it was. I don't remember him ever filling in for her again. Like I, spoiler no, alert. I think this is a one time thing, but I really took no, it's it as because he's the regular. Yeah, yeah. I, I took it as they didn't want to pay Rosalind Chow to show up. 
which is sad because yeah, well, I am always recurring. Yeah, I'm always happy to see her. Just though. air quotes. No, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, One thing that I thought this episode was missing is that I really would have enjoyed watching Odo kiss Quark's Ferengi scepter. Like, I just think that would be really funny. <laughs> you know he never would, but I would have enjoyed seeing that. No, for sure. And, like, if I'm remembering correctly, like, the original... One of the accessories that came with the original, like, Quark action figure that, like, came out when the show premiered was, like, the Grand Negus scepter. Oh, man. Um, so... So, obviously, they had filmed a couple episodes in or had plans for it when they decided to, like, make the toys or release the toys. Right? I, but... I kind of want that toy because it sounds funny. Well, it's, it's funny, right? Because I was thinking about that when I was watching the episode. And I was like, I bet you... Because, like, I know you have your Dax action figure yes. of the same from the same line. I'm like, oh, she probably wants a Quark one. And then when we, when we hit... Slight spoilers. Scope <laughs> ahead thirty seconds. When we hit season four, she needs a Worf figure mm-hmm. to like go well, with her Judson. Well, I have a, I have a Worf Funko, but it's that one's more from TNG. I yeah. think. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because he has there the short go. bob hair. <laughs> oh, okay. The Dorothy Hamill sort of like deal, right? That was not my favorite. <laughs> the Anton Sugra hair. <laughs> So, fun fact that that I found when I was kind of browsing on Memory Alpha earlier, David Livingston, who is an accomplished Trek director, directed this episode, actually pitched the original story idea for the Negus for this episode. And his original pitch was Quark is acting as some sort of, like, businessman with a B-plot of Jake teaching Nog how to read. And the producers really liked the B-story idea, but disliked um, Livingston's potential A-story. So the writers came together, they had a story meeting, and Michael Piller, who was the co-creator and the showrunner at this time, came up with the idea of doing The Godfather, and Iris Stephen Bear was assigned with the script. Um, Livingston's only contribution to like the Godfather part of the story of the A plot was the name Zek, and this is an Irish Stephen Bear quote. David Livingston pitched me on the idea of a meaning of criminal minds of the galaxy, similar to the Godfather. I said to him, "Maybe we should do a Ferengi episode." So the idea evolved. The idea evolved into the Negus. I looked through the thesaurus for a good expression for leaders and found negus n-e-g-u-s an indian word which i'm sure i'm pronouncing incorrectly which i changed to negus and grand negus zek leader of the ferengi empire was born with the ferengi being intergalactic capitalists i also knew that we needed a financial bible for them so i came up with the rules of acquisition I love the rules of rules acquisition. Of acquisition. They're like one of my favorite Trek lore things. Like I just love that it exists. I think you could at least in the past buy a book of with them listed and they're just like every time there's a new one it's just like a random number and oh, it just makes me laugh a lot. They're, and I'm sure that there I would assume that there are some contradictory um, things in there which makes the whole thing seem impossible and really funny well any good uh 
any good uh, religious text is going to have some contradictions. <laughs> That's in it, true. Right? So, um, and and Bear Bear also commented, and this was the first episode that the rules of acquisition appeared in in, in Star Trek lore in Deep Space Nine. Um, I still remember the date where I came up with the idea for the Negus and the rules of acquisition. I remember sitting in my office, having to figure out the stupid Ferengi in this episode. I looked up and found the term Nagus, which we just talked about. And he's like, that's a good name. And it's going. I'm going to use that. It's like, there's a set of rules. What are the rules? Rules of greed? That's terrible. I just was going through different words. Rules of acquisition? Of course, that's it. And the two rules of acquisition that are mentioned in this episode is, once you have their money, never give it back. And the sixth rule of acquisition, never let family stand in the way of opportunity. And interesting fact, that last rule is arguably the most broken rule of acquisition on Deep Space Nine. I would agree with that. Um, no, and there's this really cool shirt. Sorry, this is the, our merchandise corner. That if you had, <laughs> uh, it was one of the backer backer um, rewards for the star trek deep space nine documentary a few mm. years ago it's all the rules of acquisition from the show written out but then they pan out and it's quark's face oh my god that's should so wear it cool. when we record sometimes yes i should I take a love, picture and show it to you i yeah. would love to see it maybe we'll throw that up on twitter also that would be really great um one other thing i thought was really funny about this episode i know we're really at the beginning of the show so you might not someone who's watching it for the first time may not think this is a big deal or not but um we have our recurring character Morn laughing with Cork at the beginning of the episode but Morn famously doesn't talk ever and this was actually the only scene in the entire series where he opened his mouth and so I thought that was really funny <laughs> never never happens again <laughs> that's why it threw me for a loop when it happened I was really thrown up by that too and I liked I was like okay that's weird and then when I looked it up I was like, oh, okay, so this is the one and only time. But I really, at the time, I was like, I don't think I ever saw him, like, have an emotion, let alone a laugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Morn being a riff off of Norm from Cheers, right? Oh, yes. So, <laughs> He's yeah. always at Quark's bar. Sometimes you want to go where even Quark knows your name. Except for when they're having private uh, Ferengi business and he's not allowed in. <laughs> he's, yeah, except for the meaning of the, the five families. He's, yeah, whatever. he's shooed away like he's like a stray animal. He was like, shoo, shoo. I was like, Morn's a person. All right. Well, let's dive into, again, this is kind of episode, like, had kind of the, the cla one of the first episodes that kind of had that classic Star Trek structure where we had, like, an A plot and a B plot. I was so, so it happy. Took, <laughs> it took 11 episodes for us to actually get an episode that fit really nicely into the format that we planned for the show. <laughs> yes. Yay! So let's start with the B plot, which is the, all the the... Ben Cisco, Jake Cisco, and and Nog stuff. So, Elise, what were your thoughts on the B plot of the episode? At the beginning, I felt so sad for Cisco because he was planning this three day trip with Jake, and Jake's like, "Do I have to?" And I'm like, first of all, if my parents had been planning a vacation, they would have been like, "Yes, you have to." Of course, they probably already <laughs> put money towards it. Although, obviously, it's Starfleet and. I doubt that they had to pay any money, but, um, yeah, my parents would just be like, you're going, but I just felt really, um, <laughs> I felt like really sad for Cisco and I was like, 
I'm really getting old because like Cisco was 45 or Avery Books rather was 45 when this came out and that's only like six years older than me so I was like I could I could very easily have a child that's Jake's age and um yeah it's funny yeah time what is that We're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> not that 40 45 is old but right you know what I mean I it's also, just yeah. it's just funny yeah, it's just funny. I also funny. really enjoyed the physical humor of the opening scene where Jake's, like, getting ready for school and they're having this conversation because Jake is supposed to be listening to his dad talking, getting his shoes on, getting his stuff for school, having something to eat, drinking an orange juice, and, like, just trying to not drop things. And I felt like that yeah. felt like a real moment. Like, I remember getting ready for school and, like, making sure I had all my stuff. And, like, it just felt... Like, the way he was just, like, computer orange juice, like, in the middle of the scene, it just felt really natural to how someone would actually have acted in that scenario. So I, I felt totally that that was really um, natural, and I really liked that. What did you think about Miles getting himself involved in the Jake-Benjamin relationship? So, I had feelings, um... Like, Miles, like, stops himself, but then chooses to continue, which, like, implies to me it's, like, he knows he's potentially, like, overstepping, but, like, he started already, so so Cisco's like, continue, but it's, like, maybe it crosses the line, maybe, and it's, like, in, in another life, when I was working on one of my degrees, which was an ed degree, I mean, I was doing student teaching, and I've been in parent-teacher interviews, and, like, that dialogue is, like, super important and, like, super, like, crucial. And so it's, like, you know, talking about, like, performance, but if it's not, if it's not affecting Jake's outcomes at school or his performance, and it's, like... Miles as the substitute teacher can have whatever opinions he can have, but just like what, what value is there in what Miles is is saying to Ben? And it's like, also Miles isn't the teacher; he is like the sub. So like, it's I don't know. It's I have mixed feelings. Like I get I get where it fits dramatically, and like I'll allow it, but like it's like. Yeah, I don't know if that's really Miles' place. But. Yeah. I kind of felt like if he really insisted on needing to talk about it, he maybe should have talked to Keiko about it first because she's a teacher, and right. I'm sure that they have communication somehow, even though they're on different planets or whatever right now. Well, he's on deep space Well, she's time. still, I guess, away for her mother's birthday, and Miles hundred, will come back to work sooner. birthday. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, I felt that was kind of weird but I really did enjoy that Benjamin was like but I trust him and yeah that made me feel really good because even though you know obviously the scene that or the thing that happened that Miles is referring to is when Nog had told him that a Vulcan stole his homework and Jake had to back him up. But I'm like, who wouldn't, like, if you're young, who wouldn't, like, back up your friend a little bit? Like, it doesn't, it's it's not like he, like... On well, Jake's reluctant, too, right? Yeah, like, you can tell that he, like, didn't really want to lie. But he also, it's not like he were covering up a murder, so... 
<laughs> that's not the murder. <laughs> they weren't involved with the uh, the uh, murder plot for plot A. Um, but yeah, I just felt like it was kind of. I'm not. I don't want to use the term white lie because you know you. It wasn't like oh, do I look nice in this outfit? Yes, which like isn't the best lie either. But it's not like you weren't doing it for someone else's benefit, and. So it wasn't, like, good, but also it was not, that, like, kids make shit up. It, it just happens. I don't think it's the, totally. the end of the world. Um, totally. And, and I, sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. Go. No, I was going to say, and I think the thing, too, is, like, in part of that kind of, like, dialogue and kind of, like, professional trading and aptitude and, like, investigations or whatever of, like, the teachers, it's, like, if Nog isn't getting his homework done and isn't, like, achieving and making the, the outcomes of, like, whatever curriculum that they're they're learning, it's, like, there are reasons that aren't just Nog's fault that that's going on in terms of what his expectations are at home and still yeah. working in the bar and, like, different things like that. So it's, like, you would hope that, like, Keiko as the full-time teacher or whomever, like, the subs are would be kind of, like, aware of that and would be able to kind of, like, do some kind of, like, either adaptation or accommodation in terms of what the educational outcomes are or expectations for Nog in the curriculum or even talking to Rom as Nog, Nog's father about kind of that different priority setting and things like that to be able to help Nog kind of, like, achieve it. Because it's, like, Nog is still as fringy and is still expected to work and like help on the family business. And then like, you know, yeah, he's going to school, but like, so there are all these things that like add complexity to like Nog's not just quote unquote being a problem child and not getting his homework done. It's like, there's, there's a lot going on there, I guess is, is all I'm saying. Yeah. It's clear to all of us now that he probably needs private tutoring to learn how to read like you, you can't do your homework if you can't read so 100 percent. that's something that the teachers should be and the parents obviously should be like working on it's not just like on jake who like you know agreed with his friends a lie um yeah. i thought it was really funny and i don't want to get too far into this because it's related to a later episode but when benjamin is like to miles like molly's like three or something like wait till she's older because or wait till she's 14 because there's an episode later where stuff happens with molly where like i feel like miles and keiko would benefit from um ben's perspective right now in that you can't control everything with your child yeah like what is what is what does cisco say that it's like if he forced the issue and made Jake choose between him ben and not, and yeah, Nog, Ben would lose. Like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So. Yeah, you don't. I just think yeah. ultimatums are not are not good, <laughs> especially with a teenager. Yeah, no, for sure. I for sure. I really appreciated how upset Jake was about Nog being taken out of school. Like, obviously, we see that Rom takes Nog out of school just because, like, the Nagus says so. Like, you, I don't even get the impression that, like, not that Rom thinks he should be out of school. It just was, like, a throwaway comment. Like, I, no one put thought right. into that. So, 
I really appreciated like Jake cares so much about his friend, but I did notice that Benjamin like didn't really try to at that point was very like, well, maybe we're just too different. Like he wasn't, he was like, he wasn't giving him an ultimatum obviously, but he was trying to like maybe inch Jake towards maybe not being as close with Nog and, um, by pointing out that they have different values and, Jake was like, well, you taught me we should always be friends with people from other cultures. And I just was like, oh, it just warmed my heart. Yeah, and it's the way that, like, Jake has then, like, internalized that lesson and, like, Jake's sense of, like... And I think this is where, like, the B-plot is so, like, strong for me. And even, like, just talking about it now, I get kind of, like, like goosebumps or whatever, right? Where it's, like, Jake has internalized that lesson of, like, what he's been taught and like Ben and Jennifer and for the last like three, four years or whatever it's been since the Borg attack, like Ben alone as a single parent have just like shaped Nog's sense of morality and like You mean Jake's? Or sorry, Jake's sense of morality and have like taught him well and it's like it's just like so pure and kinda like what like I mean neither of us are our parents on this 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 podcast so i am like kind of aware of that fact but just like we are children how though. Kind... we are someone's children sorry <laughs> yeah no and <laughs> you can cut that and just how like even when they're oh sorry you're right <laughs> Oh, why don't we do cameras on this 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 recording? <laughs> no, but even when there are moments of like discord between parent and child, that it's like the lessons that you taught your child that like shape them and their sense of morality and their sense of right and wrong. Like just because there's discord doesn't mean that they didn't learn and like listen to those lessons and then internalize them and like are acting on them based on like their best ability or yeah. like, the most that they How understand. They see fit. And, like mm-hmm. that's 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 like the powerful shit right there yeah um yeah Mm -hmm. please talk for a bit while i collect my thoughts further um i yeah and i feel like um you know they have that conversation and then ben ben is just who had episode 11 on the bingo sheet of matt cries was that the first time on our on this podcast (laughs) yeah <laughs> and listeners, we decided to, to FaceTime during this one, so I got to see it. It was beautiful. Um, what I was going to say was, is after that, Ben is like, to Jake, I want you to come home for dinner right after school. Because he's like, thought about, I guess, what Miles had said. And he goes looking for Jake, and Jake is teaching Nog how to read... And I think that's when Benjamin sees his son and is like, oh, he's doing like I taught him, you know, to helping people and caring about people. And I think eventually he realizes that all the things that you just said are true and that he's he did a good job, I think. And he's so proud of him. And it just really was really nice. And if Keiko yes. and Miles aren't going to teach Nog, then someone has to. 
<laughs> Let's talk about the Nega storyline and all this nice um all this nice Godfather Soprano shit. Let's let's go into that. Well, speaking of the Sopranos actually, um in the beginning, the one of the first scenes of I don't remember, it was before the theme, so it was like part of the cold open because they kind of did i felt like it was a longer cold open where they did like part jake and ben and then part rom and cork who's this ferengi in the cloak that's showing up <laughs> and yeah. plus that so cork's yelling at rom for giving this the woman her money back that he found and then he like goes on to like threaten him and then rom gets angry about to nog about it and threatens him in the exact same like he uses the same words i forget what they were actually but it's like i'm going to i was might have been the airlock thing like i'm gonna yeah put you in the airlock and i just that's one of my favorite comedic devices on on television i love when characters repeat something that another character said to them like it was their idea and it's something that happens on the sopranos and i think on mad men too like a lot but it happens on the sopranos more where, like, Tony's um, therapist will tell him something, and then he uses it in a different situation to, like, tell someone else and, like, acts like it's his own idea. And I just, like, lost my shit laughing at that because it just makes me laugh so much when people are, like... Because everyone does that. You hear something, it sounds good, and then you say it to someone yeah. else, and you sound smart. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, <laughs> just totally. find it so funny. <laughs> well and that's almost even like what jake what we were just talking about what jake did to his dad was like internalizing that that lesson and like that device is used differently but like, yeah totally yeah kind of using dad, someone else's words yeah dad you told whatever, me to do right? this yeah totally the same yeah except that time it just wasn't played for comedy this time it was yeah no totally. <laughs> what did you think totally. of the grand nagus's hooded entrance it was just so, it was, like, so dramatic, and, like, they were definitely, like, you're right that they were playing it with, with comedy and, like, kind of, like, the reveal or whatever, but it was, like, oh, who's this sinister person in the cloak? And even, like, the music was, like, a little bit more sinister, and, like, um, at the, at the time of this, this recording, we just released, um, our episode on on the episode Dax, which is fresh in my mind because I just edited the podcast. But like we talked about how the villain in that episode appears and it's he's cloaked in shadows and it's very dramatic and very coded that that he's the villain. So having just edited that that episode and then watched this one, it's like, oh they're trying to do that same thing, but it's like a bit of a like reveal where it's like this powerful character but it's also played by Wallace Shawn, so innately he's going to have this oh, comedic element him. to him and everything else, right? I, Wallace Shawn is great. Um, I re- Watching it, it kind of reminded me of, like, that last episode of The Mandalorian with Luke Skywalker, like, coming in all cloaked. <laughs> Although he was obviously alone, he didn't have his attend- That Wallace Shawn is, like, short, but they also make the Frangie, like, seem shorter i'm sure and then his attendant was so tall and it just was so funny to see them standing next to each other and just wallace john is so perfectly cast for this role and if it's your first time watching he comes back we get to see him a few times and it's always it's almost always a lot of fun there are some 
not because of Wallace, Sean, but there are some Frankie episodes that don't um, hold up at all. But um, in general, it's always a fun time when he's on. <laughs> I was cracking up that the attend. I don't know what the his. I don't know. It was like his manservant or something. We'll call him his valet. Was um yeah, Mayhadu or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he was like also his food taster. <laughs> oh, that was funny. I just think it's funny when shows have like food tasters, but like, in like just like someone's. But like honestly, it was kind of warranted because everyone was trying to kill him. Well, you know, when you're on top, you got to sit with your back against the wall, yeah. and like. You never like when you're the boss. You like all the all the couples. They're like coming for you, right? So yeah, rival families and a whole whole different whole different business. Sit sit with your back against the wall. Um, what was Zex? Because you know, yeah. Luca Brasi sweets, sleeps with the fishes. What's that? Go ahead. What was Zex's kid's name? I couldn't remember. Start with like a K or a G or something. I don't know. Any Cronk? cracks or something? When. Zek is complimenting Quark for opening a bar next to a stable wormhole, and the kid is like, he didn't even know the, the wormhole existed. I was like, I was like, sent. Like, that was just so funny. I I it's just like, got... That's what makes him a genius. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's... Cracks. Cracks. K-R-A-X. All right, I was close. Um, yeah, this uh, it just was so ridiculous and so silly, and I just I really loved it. So the Nagus's whole plan is that he's going to, um, he wants to open business in the Gamma Quadrant because they don't, they hadn't heard of Ferengis there yet, so their reputation isn't tarnished. And I was laughing at all the deep, all the Ferengis showing up on Deep Space Nine and that scene where, like, they always have a scene where Odo's, like, spying on someone and then turns around to, like, talk to whoever on his comm, but it's like he's looking at the camera. And it really feels like that is his version of, like, David Caruso putting on and taking off his glasses at on CSI. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I don't watch it, but, like, there, yeah. it's a meme. I'm sure we can find a video of, like, David Caruso taking off and putting on his glasses, like, a hundred times. But it's just, like, it's so stupid and just... I feel like that's Odo. He's always, like, spying on someone and then turning around to, like, talk to the audience. Well, and, like, it was a fun scene, and, like, Kira says some racist shit where it's like, oh, all the Ferengi are showing up. Let's lock the silverware. Yeah, that was and not Cisco's cool. And like, I know our local fascist Odo is already on it. He's like, why, yes, Captain, I am racially profiling all of the Ferengi <laughs> that show up. So it's, like, it's yeah. played for laughs, and it is fun, but it's, like... What if I'm just a Ferengi that was coming to visit my cousin? Like, come on. <laughs> it, it's like when um, when my girl Ten- Devon Attendee is shows up on lower decks and everyone's like looking at her because she's Orion and she's like, I know most of us are pirates, but I'm not. <laughs> I think um, Cork got more than he bargained for when he was uh, named the Grand Nagus after Zek was murdered. Well, did he? I think he, he died of natural causes, didn't he? Oh. They were just talking to Quark and he like... Oh, I got had that. Had a Tim... 
he like froze up and I couldn't tell if they were trying to make it like someone poisoned him or not. I know you're probably right, but I like couldn't tell if there was like more going on. I mean, in yeah, the end, think... none of that was going on, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, that's true. No, I think the implication, because when, like, Cracks or whatever his name is, is, like, when Oda's, like, asking to do an autopsy later, and they've already, like, vacuum-sealed all of Zex's, allegedly Zex's, Zex's remains, as is the Ferengi To sell them off, to, yeah. Like, yeah, to, to be collectibles. Um, so it's some kind of, like, tamponic, like, or tamponic, like, some ear infection that, like, he died of or whatever, so it was natural, uh-huh. but then... As now Quark is Nagus and wasn't expecting it, it was just hosting the meeting of the five families or whatever to go with the whole like Godfather thing they're going for. Um, Quark then becomes the target, and there's these like hunter Ferengi like drones that are like coming after him and stuff. So like Quark is the victim of attempted murder as as the new Nagus in Zek's death is how I how I think it plays. I think the implication is that Zek died of natural causes, or as it turns out. Faked his death, spoiler alert, <laughs> of natural causes, but we'll get to that in a minute. Well, I, I guess I missed that part, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, no, not at all. So, yeah, so it tur- so we see Rom and Crax. Crax? Was that it? I, like, forgot already. Crax? The worst. Yeah. They're, like, plotting. Zek Jr. Yeah, Zek Jr. They're plotting to kill Quark, which I think is funny because Rom's his brother. And, like, yeah, Quark's an asshole to him, but also, like... That's kind of cutthroat to, like, plot to kill your brother. Um, Well, and it doesn't, like, there's still in some ways, I think, and we've talked about this, um, I think, as a couple episodes ago when we covered Babel, our our quarantine um, epidemic (laughs) episode, um, where it's, like, Roms, they're still, like, they haven't, like isolated who they want Rom to be yet and it's like is part of a conspiracy to murder Quark just feels like antithetical to like who I know Rom to be and grows into so it's like one of those things that like happens and then like isn't spoken of again but I guess where I can like headcanon into happening is it's like Rom can be like an impressionable dude. Yeah, so like totally. if Crax was like, no, we need to do it, then it's like Rom gets on board with it. But like Rom loves Quark. Or eventually loves Quark. So just like it's weird to me that he would he would try to murder him. I feel like he might not have tried to murder him if he was allowed to take over the bar. Like he was he like went up to Quark and was like, Oh, like he expected that he would get the bar and like Right. Uh, oh, yeah, no, Rom asks to be his his body... Oh, he asks... Sorry. Quark asks Rom him to be his bodyguard. His bodyguard and, he, and Rom was almost like, bitch, I thought I'd run this far. Like, what? <laughs> and he seems so dis- disappointed. And I think that motivated him a little bit more, even though we never hear about it ever again. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like pushing someone out of an airlock is, like, a real fucked up way to kill someone um yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no fair enough fair enough i did i also enjoyed it's not nice anyways no i feel like it'd be like not good um i enjoyed how passive aggressive cork was being with all the ferengi like 
that had come to see like who was going to be loyal yeah. to him like he was very like yeah. negotiating but like playing very like playing his cards close to his ch- his chest he was like oh maybe i can do that for you it was just really yeah he knew what he was doing and it was really funny <laughs> When when they did finally like trick Cork into going into the airlock and like locking him in there and like I died when Cork is like banging on the window with like the scepter and screaming, You must obey your Nagus and I was like <laughs> I feel like that you needs must- that like needs to go in my Twitter bio now. Like you must obey your Nagus. It it was very like Cartman from South Park. You respect my authority. Yeah, it was very. I feel like there was something else it made me think of, but I can't remember now. You must respect your niggas. I think it was just like how he, like the tone of each syllable is what made it laugh. Like just how he delivered that line was just really funny. Armin. No, Ar- Armin. Fucking Armin Shimmerman is so good. He's he really so does. good. He really does. I think half of, like, me enjoying Quark as much as I do is, like, yeah, it's, like, the writing and, like, yeah, he's a fun roguish character and whatever, but it's just the way Armin portrays him and has, I think, the sympathy for for Quark, too, especially, like, as things go go on and we learn yeah. about Quark, it's yeah. just, like, Armin and, rules. And also hearing Armin talk about Quark and the Ferengi in general, like... He's he's been pretty public about how he felt that the people that played the Frangi were not as not as respected on set and stuff like that. And I just feel like how much respect he has for his character and like his role is just makes me really it really adds to it because you know he's like having a good time while he's playing Quark also. I forgot where I read totally. that. And like Totally, and, like, I don't, I'm sure he's probably talked about it at conventions and stuff before, but, like, I remembered right. from what we left behind, the, the Deep Space Fan documentary that I mentioned earlier where I got my, my Quark shirt for, for yeah. backing, but, like, I don't know, I don't remember how early they started this, but, like, definitely, like, the Ferengi episodes, like you talked about, at least they become a thing, and then they get this, like, kind of core cast of, like, Ferengi players, and, like, Armin and uh, his his wife, Kitty Swank, who appears couple guest roles on the series they'd host the Ferengi actors I think it was on Sunday nights he said for dinner and they do like the readings and do all this prep for like the Ferengi scenes and like kind of like created this like for lack of a better word family of like these like Ferengi episodes and like kind of cultivated that like the intentionality there and just it's just it's it's pretty cool it's pretty cool stuff who did his Um, wife play so she's played a couple different roles I know she was like a Bajoran um, arbiter or a Bajoran in one of the episodes, and I don't. She might have played a Vorta once too, no. um, but we'll we'll get there when we get there. We'll we'll clock it once. Yeah, once, uh, I was more asking appears, out of just so. curiosity. Um, during everything, Odo's like trying to figure out who killed Zek and finds that he's not dead, <laughs> and so they come and they save. You know, Quark, and he um, gets out of the airlock. And the whole thing is a test that Zek wanted to see if his son was ready to take over. 
the or the Ferengia alliance in which he has decided he is not ready, which was pretty obvious. He was like being silly or whatever. Um, I just I really was hysterical that Quark was so impressed that his brother tried to kill him that he um decided that he was going to um, promote... He gave him, like, a promotion at the bar. Uh, and I thought that was very funny. The Frangi are very into um, screwing each other over. Well, that would, what's that role of acquisition? That we have the two roles of acquisition that Never, we were interested don't let in this family, Don't let family get... Um, I don't know the exact quote, but don't let, what was it? (laughs) Never let family stand in the way of opportunity. There you go. Well, Sack definitely didn't. And he had this whole, like, almost like, like, and here's where, like, the Ferengi can be kind of fun. And I know that we've talked about, like, the idea of, like, the Ferengi stuff being, like, the godfather but it's like the godfather by way of like a shakespearean comedy with like fake deaths and like all these like plans and machinations and whatever like i don't know that that that's kind of like that whole idea of like kind of farce like that i think is why i do kind of get into the the ferengi episodes and like this wasn't my favorite and there's definitely ones i really like and ones that are low-key problematic that we'll talk about if we ever get to season six. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, like, some people don't like the Ferengi episodes on the whole because they think they're too farcical, but, like, they really work for me because it's kind of, you know, it's just, they're fun. I like them. They're I, fun. I like the satire of it. I like that there's, I mean, if you're watching this and thinking the Ferengi are great, then that's a problem in my mind <laughs> but I do yeah. agree with you like about um they're always scheming and trying to trick each other and it just it's very comedic to me also it really they really work for me I very much like satire and this is so over the top and I that's the kind of thing like I want to know like it's definitely satire and this definitely is well, and, like, the whole idea of, like, and like the Ferengi as, like, a hyper, like, version of, like, 20th century capitalism, too, mm-hmm. a little bit. And, like, the way, like, even going back to that Ira quote we mentioned earlier was, like, where is it here? Uh, with the Ferengi being intergalactic capitalists, I also knew that they needed a financial Bible for them. So, again, like... Again, we're talking about the Federation being kind of this this post scarcity, like somewhere between like liberalism and social democracy and like communism society that they don't ever really define for various probably anti communist reasons. <laughs> but the Ferengi are like the capitalists of the of the Star Trek universe, right? And like it is it is farcical and it is nonsensical and like that yeah. like, you know what I mean? So. And we haven't even seen how far it goes yet. Like, they have more rules that we can get into when we learn it. I won't spoil it for people now. But um, they're they're more ridiculous than we're even seeing now. (laughs) Yep. They really, they really are. 
I think overall it was like an average episode and I, I enjoyed it. I didn't dislike watching it and I think I'm I'm excited for spoiler alert, Zek to return and Zek's Zek Jr. never to be mentioned again. Yeah, I don't I, that's why I didn't remember his name, folks, because we never see him again. Yeah, Zek becomes a reoccurring character and I guess we just assume that his son fell into disfavor after this episode and we we never see him again. And there's another character that's going to be introduced later in the series that also becomes an essential element of the Froggy episodes. And I was missing him a little bit. I agree. I agree. I feel like um, while that person, that character is not Zek's son, I feel like he, he like could, they could that just. Sort of ro- plays that role. He, yeah. he plays that kind of like, that kind of role. And I'm looking forward to that also. Hmm. I feel like, I feel like if he was on this episode, I would have some, like, thirst thoughts. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Pause the recording. Not not for me, just with him and other characters. Oh, okay, so, like, it's more like a shipping thing. Yeah. You're not thirsting for Brunt, FC. No, I am not thirsting for Brunt. I am shipping him and Quark. Well, well, more on that when Brunt <laughs> FCA is introduced, and then we can explain to you what the FCA is, listeners. If not, please Google. So, I don't know about you, Elise, but I I wasn't that parched this episode. No, I was very well hydrated. I was very hydrated uh, as well. I don't I don't have much in the way of, of thirst for this episode, but my most Star Trek moment was. I liked the B plot more than the A plot this episode, <laughs> um, which when you have 700 and some episodes of your television show, that's that's going to happen. Did you have a more Star Trek moment this week? Um, I think that the the B plot being like more heartwarming was kind of and like having more lasting thought, like me having more lasting thoughts about it is is probably my most star trek thing so i i think i'm just agreeing with you that that is the most star trek thing is that that was more impactful also on top of being a better like story or whatever yeah and i think it's like interesting with that too that that was like when david livingston pitched the idea of this episode that was the one that the writers room liked and kind of like kept and then the other stuff kind of like it's it's fun but i just know it can like get better and maybe that's maybe like the negus would be better on like a first watch because you didn't know what a ferengi episode would would grow into but yeah yeah a fun fine time in front of your television set with star trek <laughs> To, or co- to, or to, computer, uh, depending paraphrase on paraphrase a, a certain Vanity Fair writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or a computer. Or a computer. Yes. Well, was there anything else you wanted to, to talk about this week? I don't think so. I think that's it. I think Great. we did it. Great. I think we did it, too. So until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at... Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at PodRates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. And you, Matt? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me on my Mad Men podcast talking about Mad Men. Still great Bob. Please remember to rate and review the pod race on the podcasting system of your choice. And if you do so, we will read your review on the air. We all, as always, would like to thank DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next week, computer and program. Bye.